Good morning and welcome to worship today at Kern Church. My name is Will and I'm the pastor and it's a joy to be with you all today. Here at Kern Church, we're committed to creating belonging and hope by connecting you to a life renewed by Jesus and deeply committed to other people. Well, with that, I want to say a word of prayer this morning as we resume and as we continue to worship. Loving God, thank you, thank you for this day. Thank you for your presence in our lives. Thank you for bringing us together in person and online to worship you. I pray that your spirit is blessed, O oh God. That your spirit is, is lifted up by the praise of your church. And I'll also pray that you open the hearts of each one. That each one can receive what it is that you want them to receive this day. To be blessed and strengthened in every corner of their lives. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. As a young adult, I was exploring ministry. And you see, I believe that God had called me into ministry at kind of a young age. And maybe I was crazy to think that. But nonetheless, I believe that it happened. And I was trying to figure out as a young adult what that meant in the midst of everything else young adults are trying to figure out. And so, when I was in college, I, uh, I started working at a very small United Methodist Church, and I, I say working, and in many ways it was basically paid volunteer work, okay? It was like a very penance-like amount of money. I had met the pastor, and he kind of took me under his, his leadership, and he hired me to work with the youth of the church, and looking back now, this church, even though it was pretty small, it had a really good-sized youth group um, for the size of the church, and, and honestly, myself, I was much too young to be hired to do this. I was just a, a few years out of being in youth group myself, and so every Sunday I would drive 30 to 40 minutes across town to, to, be, with, to be with this church, to, to teach Sunday school, and then to be back in the evening for our youth group gatherings, and we did big events, we went on mission trips, we went to resurrection, and I was paid, I think, like 200 bucks a month. I mean, like, you know, very, like, it probably would have paid for my gas to and fro. I mean, just about. And I, I preached on occasion. But, you know, really this church, it surrounded me with an atmosphere of love and care as I, I ministered with their young people. And one of the steps, this is the church that I ended up joining so I could become, go through the official process of ministry in the United Methodist Church. And, and one of the steps of, of, of preparing to be a pastor in the United Methodist Church is going to seminary. And, and so seminary in, in our circles, the United Methodist Church, this is a graduate level education. It's like a three years master's program where they figure out if you're crazy enough to, to become a pastor and to, to devote your life to this kind of work. And, um, and, and so I was getting close to finishing my undergraduate work, and I knew that my next step was to go on, go on uh, to seminary. And one of the things that sticks out in my mind about this time is that, that is some of the encouragement that I was receiving from these dear people that, that loved me so well, that really cared about me. They expressed their worry to me that seminary was going to take Jesus away from me, that I was going to go to seminary like all these other people and lose my faith. Now, let me tell you, seminary is the school 
that it, it's, it's the school, it's the college that, that, that pastors are required to go to before becoming pastors. And these people were warning me that there was something rotten there, okay, that was going to destroy my faith. And, and the term was like, take Jesus from me, okay? I, I, I remember someone telling me that is, as bad as these schools were, there was one school that I could attend. And, 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 and it was, there was only one school that it would be responsible for me to attend because they probably wouldn't try to take Jesus away from me. Probably would try to not make me stop believing in Jesus. I have to say, I did not go to the school that this person encouraged me to go to. I ended up at Emory University. And I remember, uh, which is a United Methodist school, by the way, it's a United Methodist institution. And um, so if you're ever at Emory Hospital, you're amongst, uh, you're on United Methodist ground, by the way. It's, it's a great place. Um, but I remember my Old Testament professor, this was the first semester of, of, of graduate school, my Old Testament professor talking about this warning, because evidently this is not just something that happened to me. It was kind of common warning that people would give. The idea that seminary would destroy your faith. And I remember him saying that if your Jesus could be taken away so easily, then your version of Jesus might have been too small and uh, might not have been worth having in the first place. But I think about those well-meaning church people. They were trying to share with me a caution, a caution that some of the things that, that they took for granted in their faith might come into question in the midst of theological exploration that happens in school. And I have to tell you that they were right. They were right. The more I studied with excellent faculty and the more I, I questioned many of the assumptions about faith and the Bible. But here's the deal. This did not cause me to lose my faith. Instead, it caused a deeper, a, a deeper and more abiding sense of God's presence in my life and a deeper and more abiding sense to grow in my understanding of what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus. And I share this with you because it's my experience. And it's only my experience. It's not everyone's experience. And so as, as we continue our, our new message series, I Doubt That, I want to spend some time sharing about, sharing about those who have left. Those who have left either in part or in full the Christian faith or the church. And I have to warn you that uh, there's many ways of doing this, um, but, but some of what I'm going to share, actually a lot of what I'm going to share, has to do with, with some of the data that we see amongst folks, that some of the data that has been observed. So if you're one of these people that really enjoys data, you know, this is going to be a home run for you. And if you're somebody that, that doesn't really uh, appreciate data or gets lost in the midst of it, my hope is that that I can paint a picture and that, and that we can look through and, and, and you can hear the stories that some of this data might represent. 
You see, about 12 years ago, a guy by the name of, of David Kinneman, David Kinneman is now the, the CEO of the Barna Group, and the Barna Group is a group I mentioned last week. They do research into, into church and to the religious life, especially of people living in North America. And, and about 12 years ago, he wrote this book called You Lost Me, and it, it, the, the subtitle is Why Young Christians Are Leaving the Church and Rethinking Faith. So this book came out in um, about 12 years ago, and it was a follow-up to a book written nearly 20 years ago called Unchristian. And the, that first book, Unchristian, looked at the way that young non-Christians perceive Christianity. And this follow-up book was looking at how Christians or people that grew up in the church uh, uh, perceived Christianity. The book Unchristian, it was very important to me when it came out, because I was one of the young people that it was speaking of, right? I was, this was talking about my peers, about how my peers viewed the church. I, while I was a Christian at that time, and I still am today, if you're curious about that statement, while I was a Christian at that, that time, um, the insights of the book really resonated with me. And frankly, it's hard for me to grasp the idea that, that this book was released like 20 years ago. Um, and so many of you have been at those places in your life when you're like, that was that long ago? Wow. Um, as I look in the mirror and see gray hair coming through, I can you know, really appreciate this. Um, but it describes the perspective of, of people who used to be young. Um, and, and, and their beliefs and understanding about the church. And for some reason, I never read the sequel, the follow-up, this book, You Lost Me, when it came out. So I picked it up, I picked it up recently, and I have to tell you, it was spot on, spot on describing the phenomenon of young people leaving the church. And when the research was collected, they found that, that three out of every five young people with a Christian background. So this is a technical term. Three out of every five young people that grew up in the church report that they have or had dropped out of attending church or going regularly. So three out of five folks who grew up in church, these are... um, these are the millennials that you remember hearing about a few years ago, the people that are old like me now, people that are, you know, the oldest millennials are now 42, and the youngest ones are almost 30, okay? These are not like these really young people anymore. Um, but the data suggests that, or the data says that, that these folks, three out of every five of us, my peers, stopped uh, being a part of a congregation, being a part of a church in the midst of their young adult lifetime. They, these are the church, these are the, the, the young people that filled your church as teenagers. I mean, they grew up in the church, they filled your church as teenagers. And then into adulthood, they stopped attending church. At the time when this book was written 12 years ago, some faith leaders thought that all you needed to do was just wait, because they'd seen this before. These faith leaders were boomers, and so if you're a boomer, you might, I might be talking about you, and hopefully not in an ill way, but, but, but these faith leaders were boomers, and they're like, I remember this! My, my parents were worried about me because I stopped going to church as a young adult. But then, you know what happened? I got married and I had kids and I started going to church. So many faith leaders assumed, well, these young whippersnappers, they're going to be just like me because I, I dropped out of church and then I got married and started attending church. But 
um, uh, my question is, how did that work out? Because 12 years later, <laughs> this has not panned out. For the most part, for the most part, um, millennials are no longer the young people around. Like I said, the oldest ones are about 42, and the youngest ones are, are nearing 30. And, um, and since the pandemic, some millennials actually have started to return to church, but nowhere near the rates of previous generations. Nowhere near the rates of previous generations. In his, in his research from the last decade, Kinnaman, uh, Kinnaman noted that those who left church fall into two basic categories. First, you have the group that, of people um, that still consider themselves Christian. And I know a lot of these folks. They are my neighbors. They are my friends. These are folks that still consider themselves Christians. Maybe they, maybe they show up for church once a year. Maybe they, they celebrate Christian holidays. Maybe they, they talk to their kids in some way about Jesus if they, have, if they have this. But they still basically consider themselves Christians, but they have decided that, that church participation is pretty much optional. That, that even if they attend church on occasion, church participation is, is just optional. These folks might consider themselves spiritual, but not all that religious. And they have just not necessarily disengaged from the belief in God, but they've disengaged from participation in the church. I mean, this is why I called this, this, this sermon Leaving Church, because that's what this describes. Just folks not 100% leaving the Christian faith and making a, a, an informed decision that they want to be atheist or or they want to switch religions, but that they've just left the church because it's been somewhat irrelevant in their lives. And then there are also those, the other category is those people that have left the Christian faith altogether, and they, they really have left behind belief in Jesus and, and what it means to be the church. And what we found is that leaving church wasn't a phase, Okay? It wasn't a phase, as some perhaps thought it was 10 or 12 years ago. I mean, the Pew Research has been talking about this for, for almost two decades, talking and tracking the rise of the nuns. Perhaps you've heard about this, the rise of the nuns. These are the, the number of people who reply, what is your religious affiliation? And they say none, okay? These are the, the, the number of people who report no religious affiliation is about 10 percentage points higher than it was just 10 years ago. So in 07, 2007, uh, before some folks here were born, in 2007, the Pew Research Center said there were about 12% 12, 12 of all Americans said they had no religious affiliation, and now roughly 30% of Americans report to having no religious affiliation. I mean, this is a, this is a dramatic change in the religious landscape of our nation and just the way people experience faith altogether. One of these who left is, is a lady by the name of Chrissy, Chrissy Stroop. And, and Chrissy grew up in a conservative Christian household. And, and, and following the 2016 presidential election and all that that entailed, she coined the Twitter hashtag, empty the pews. And, and so they, they started, what she was trying to do is, is she had left the Christian faith, she had left the, the, the faith and in, in her conservative Christian background, and she knew that other people had as well. She, she saw that the religious movement in which she 
was raised was partly responsible for the political situation and division of the day. And so she encouraged other people to tell their stories of leaving the faith with the, with the hashtag empty the pews. In fact, and in fact, just a couple of years later, she comprised many of these stories into a book by the same name called Empty the Pews. And, and these are mostly stories of people who left toxic experiences of Christianity. And, and many of them left to unbelief. Some of them left to other forms of spirituality. But they left. The point is, not the, the politics surrounding this, but just the fact that it's part of this growing movement of, of people exiting participation in, in the church. And when I think about the drop in participation in the church, people leaving the church, people leaving the faith, I want to share one more, uh, one more uh, staggering reality. And, and for some of you are, who are, are, are not as, as young as you once were, this may this may strike home a bit more. See, after COVID, it's not just young people who have dropped out of participation in the church. We're seeing, this is today's statistics, we're seeing a brand new trend right now that boomers have been the fastest to drop out of church since COVID and the least likely to return. So, so, so for churches all across America, many of them are filled in leadership with boomers, and, and many are filled, uh, filled with, with boomers in, uh, uh, you know, across the whole demographic. But since COVID, this has been the demographic, this has been the generation, the boomer generation, that has been the fastest to drop out of church and the least likely to return. So since 2020, 22% of boomers have stopped attending church altogether which is higher than, than the rate of any other generation. So even though there's not as many millennials or Gen Zs involved in the church, the dropout rate is much less than it is with the boomer generation. So if, if you participate in church today, you likely recognize this. I mean, this, the, in, in some degree, this probably isn't a surprise to you. But here's the deal. Declining precipitation, or participation, precipitation would... You know, it's the stuff that comes from the sky, I guess. But, but declining, declining participation uh, in the life of the church and, and in the life of faith is not just a problem for churches. It's not just a problem for pastors and, and for how we do life together as a church. Many are coming to suggest that it also presents a public health crisis. And in fact, research from Harvard University, so many don't think of Harvard University as a bastion of religious belief. Like, I mean, I think that that's a fair thing to say. But the, the, the Human Flourishing Program at Harvard University, they're beginning to uncover research that suggests that religious service attendance powerfully enhances health and well-being. So Harvard University is uncovering research that religious service attendance coming to worship powerfully enhances health and well-being. And here are some of the health markers that they highlight here for those who, those who regularly attend worship versus those who don't. So if you're, if you're a Christian and, and maybe you're joining us online and, and wondering if you might should come to, to, to worship here, maybe this is a reason to, to worship regularly with other people. They found that there's an overall 33% reduced risk of death for those that attend worship. Um, everybody dies at the end, but like, I don't know how you figure that out. That's for statisticians. 
Um, but these other ones, <laughs> everybody's got 100% risk of death. I mean, it's just like, when's it going to happen, okay? Um, hopefully not today and hopefully not tomorrow. Um, but, but they also have, for people that regularly attend worship, they have found that there's a 29% reduced risk of depression. There's a 50% reduced risk of divorce. There's a 33% reduced risk of adolescent illegal drug use. And there's an 84% reduced risk of suicide. And what they found is that this is not just because people gather together in a social setting. There is something existential about gathering in the religious community. And one of the authors of the study states, I mean, Harvard University, okay? One of the authors of the study states that the data are clear. Going to church remains central to true human flourishing. Now, I say all this, and I share all this with you, not to say that if you regularly attend church, you are better off. I mean, that it does not a one-to-one. And I don't share this just to lament a lack of participation. I share it because I think fundamentally the church needs to take ownership. That the church needs to take ownership of this. In, in, his book, in his book, You Lost Me, Kinnaman poses an important question. He says, in what ways, in what ways are we cons- complicit in the next generation's loss of faith? Twelve years ago, he says, what, in what ways are we complicit in the next generation's loss of faith? I mean, how do you know, how, do you, how are you a person of faith? You're only a person of faith because someone before you was a person of faith and they passed that faith down to you. And this question hits me hard. I, I, I think about the church over the past 20 years or so and, and the church has basically said something like this. Here we are. Come join us. It'll be fun. Like, that's the slogan of, of most churches over the past 20 years. Here we are, we've got this beautiful building, and, 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 and um, why don't you come join us? Our doors are always open, and you'll have a good time. But then the church has looked around and questioned. We have a good time, why aren't people here? Our, our, our doors are open, why aren't people here? And here's the thing, the church needs to take some ownership here, because this is a discipleship-making problem. For the most part, those who have left the church or faith altogether, these are your people. These are your people. They were raised in your church. But the church has failed and is failing to prepare and equip them for the rapidly changing culture around us. The church has failed to prepare and equip our people to follow Jesus in a rapidly changing culture. And this failing, it leads me to the Bible. And, and, and maybe you're wondering, Will, I thought you were sharing a sermon this morning. Where's the Bible? And here it is. Uh, the, the, this failing leads me to a Bible story where Jesus saw one of His followers failing. Okay, 
And if you have a Bible and want to follow along, this story comes from Matthew chapter 4, where Matthew talks about Jesus. And what is happening is that Jesus and his followers have just spent time caring and healing people and, and, and ministering to a whole mess of folks. And Jesus tells his followers, why don't you guys go alone across the, the water here? Why don't you get on this boat and go across the lake, and I'll meet you on the other side. Meanwhile, Jesus kind of closes up shop and he, he says, I'm going to go off and pray. And, and he does this. Well, while his disciples are sailing across this lake, it's, a, it's the Sea of Galilee, and, and so a storm pops out of nowhere. And what happens is that their, their boat is being pounded in the midst of the sea, and they really have no form of propulsion, and so they're kind of stuck in the midst of, of this large lake. And, and they're just stuck, and they continue to be stuck through the night. And the disciples, they're just stuck out in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the storm. And, and then we read in Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 25, what happened. Very early in the morning, Jesus came to His disciples, Matthew tells us, walking on the lake. Okay, Jesus is walking on the water. These folks have been in a storm all night long, they haven't slept well, and now they see a guy walking on the water. Keep that in your mind. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. Wouldn't you be? I mean, they were terrified, and they said, it's a ghost. They were so frightened that they screamed. And, and just then, just then, Jesus spoke to them and said, be encouraged, it's me. Don't be afraid. So, so after a night in the midst of a storm, Jesus walks out on the lake and his followers are terrified because they know what you know. People don't walk on water. If you want to walk on water, you're going to fall. So it must be a, a, a ghost. But Jesus screams out to them, hey y'all, don't be, don't be scared. Don't be scared. It's just me. And one of the disciples, a guy by the name of Peter, speaks up. And Peter says in verse 28, Lord, if it's you... Lord, if it's you, order me to come to you on the water. Peter's like, you know what? I don't know if we're going to make it out this night. This storm is pretty bad. Um, I'm kind of delirious from out, for not having enough sleep. And so Peter's like, I'm just going to lay it on the table. Um, it, I'm going to take a chance. If this is actually Jesus, he's going to, to let me walk on water with him. And so Jesus said, come, in verse 29. Then Peter got out of the boat and was walking on water toward Jesus. I can't imagine that. Jesus is walking on water, and then Peter steps out, and he starts to walk on water toward Jesus. But then Peter saw the strong wind, and he became frightened. And as he began to sink, he shouted, Lord, rescue me. Jesus, Peter, he, Peter starts walking on water, but then he begins to doubt what's actually happening, and he begins to sink. And so he yells out, Jesus, help me. And Jesus immediately reached out, grabbed him, saying, you man of weak faith, why did you begin to have doubts? And when they got into the boat, the wind settled down. I mean, this is a crazy story. I can't imagine having the, the kind of faith that Peter had of just stepping out of a boat in the middle of a lake. I mean, you, you try to walk on water, you sink. I mean, this is just what happens. But Peter has the faith, and Jesus invites him out on the water he invites him out of the water, and Peter starts walking, but then he gets scared. He starts to doubt, and he, and he starts to sink, and so Jesus saves him. And, and as Jesus is saving him, he says, why did you begin to doubt? Now, I want you to know, I have always read this as an accusation. Like, um, wh why are you doubting, Peter? I, I just, I, I, you were just walking on the water. Why would you doubt? 
This, this is how I've always read this, as an accusation of someone who's done something wrong. But, but you know, what if this isn't an accusation? What if it's not Jesus getting on to Peter for a lack of faith, but what if it's just simply an honest question? You know, Peter, what's going on? Peter, why not, why did you doubt? But Peter, why did you begin to doubt? What's, what's going on? You see how those are, are two very different ways of hearing the same question. When you send text messages to folks and these types of things get, get lost. So if you have important conversations, pick up the phone or talk to someone in person. But, but like, um, this is just this is like, Peter, why did you begin to, ja- to doubt? Why? Not perhaps an accusation, but perhaps an honest question. When Jesus asks the question, He is concerned for Peter and wants to include and engage him. And this reminds me. This reminds me of those who have left the church. Many haven't left faith. They have left church. They doubt that the church can make any type of meaningful impact in their lives or any type of meaningful act, impact in the world. Others doubt that, that doubt faith in general has anything for them. But you know, doubt does not have to be the enemy of faith. Doubt is often an invitation to a deeper faith. And even though we continue to see declining rates of church participation, I want to go back to the data one more time. So if you're a data person, here's your last chance to, to be really excited. If you're not, this is your last chance to kind of just like uh, take a little nap. But um, even, even though we continue to see declining rates of participation in the life of the church, we are also seeing right now, today, right now, we are seeing a growing spiritual openness. This is especially true for the majority of people that are around and under the age of 40. And in the report, we find that, that for people that are, that are around and under the age of 40, that they are more open to God now than they were before the, the pandemic. So that's the majority of all people about the age of 40 and under are, are more open to God now than they were before the pandemic. And then a fully 60% of today's youngest adults, this is Generation Z, uh, so a fully 60% of today's youngest adults share that they are more open to God now than before the pandemic. And here's the deal. Gen Z is the most unchurched generation out of any of our generations that are in adulthood right now. And they are the most spiritually open generation. There is a growing spiritual openness that we are a part of. And this means that the church, that that your church, that, that our church is at a critical inflection point, okay? You and I can continue to do the same thing. Here we are. Here we are. Our doors are open. Come join us. It'll be fun. Here we are. We have smiles. Come join us. It'll be fun. Or we can rethink our strategy and efforts in making disciples. What do you want to do? I, I, mean, I mean this with all seriousness. What do you want to do? You have a chance to impact the next generation of folks who are legitimately open to the spiritual things. Do you want to do it? Do you want to do it? Are you ready to really do it? 
12 years ago in You Lost Me, David Kinnaman said the same thing about my generation. He said, we are at a critical point in the life of the North American church. The Christian community must rethink our efforts to make disciples. Many of the assumptions on which we have built our work with young people are rooted in modern, mechanistic, and mass production paradigms. But disciples cannot be mass produced. I love this last line he shares. Disciples are handmade. One relationship at a time. Jesus knew that when He extended a hand to Peter. Jesus knew that when He extended a hand to Peter and said, what's going on? Peter, why are you doubting? Jesus takes His concern for Peter one-on-one and wants to include him and engage him. And this is the same Peter, if you know the story, who would go on to deny Jesus three times. Peter, in fact, walked completely away from Jesus later in his life. He doubted and he said, I don't even know Jesus. I don't believe him. I don't know Jesus. But you know what? Jesus never turned his back on Peter. Jesus never said, you lost your chance, buddy. You lost your chance. I'm moving on. Instead, Jesus always met Peter with openness, with honesty, with love and concern. Jesus always met Peter in relationship one-to-one, one-on-one. Peter, even even though he he walked away from faith and walked away from, from Jesus like so many people today, Jesus remained. Jesus remained. And Peter remained spiritually open. And then in John chapter 21, this is John's telling of the whole story, Jesus meets Peter again. Peter had already dropped out, but Jesus still met him. Peter had quit coming to church, he had quit tithing, he had quit doing the things that are important in being a a follower of Jesus. Peter had dropped out, but Jesus still met him, still loved him, still talked to him. And Peter heard from Jesus three times, and Jesus three times, he said, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And Peter was still spiritually open like so many people today. And and, and he's like, yeah, of course I love you, Jesus. Of course I love you. This happened three times, and each time Jesus then told Peter, well, I've got something for you to do. Why don't you feed my sheep? And then after this, Jesus uses Peter to start the church. Peter does not stay disengaged. In fact, Peter gets reconnected and leads the entire building of the church in the first generation of Jesus' followers after Jesus. You know, sometimes, I just have to be honest with you, that I worry if my kids are going to have a church when they grow up. Are your kids going to have a church when they grow up? Are your grandkids going to have a church when they grow up? And here's the deal, church. You and I have a chance to be the kind of church that acts like Jesus. You and I have have the chance and the opportunity to rethink how, how we make disciples. And we are at an inflection point where, where people have a growing spiritual openness and a growing spiritual hunger, and Jesus invites you to extend a hand. Just extend a hand as Jesus did to Peter to meet folks where they are, to offer questions like Jesus. And I don't think it's too late. I I really don't think it's too late. But the time is now. Because people are disconnected and people are searching. And people need Jesus. And you and I have the opportunity to speak into someone's life. You and I, we can continue to do the same thing. Here we are, right? Here we are, 
Come join us. The doors are open. It'll be fun. Or you and I can rethink our strategy and efforts in making disciples. So I ask you again, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And I mean this seriously, what do you want to do? You have a chance to impact the next generation. Do you want to do it? Are you ready to do it? Because God, Jesus has extended the hand to you and wants you to do this with others. Do you want to do it? Are you ready to do it? Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that you reached out a hand to Peter in the midst of his doubt, in the midst of leaving, leaving following you. And I pray right now for forgiveness for your church where we have, where we have tried to do things the same way that we've always done them. Give us the courage to rethink, to refocus on making disciples one by one in relationship with people one by one. Give us the courage to seek ways to, to speak words of life and discipleship and encouragement into people's lives who are struggling to, to wonder if church is even relevant in their life. And bring revival, bring resurrection into this space and into the hearts of all those who are searching and all those who are opening, open. And God, right now, I pray for, for all of the young people who are especially spiritually hungry this morning. Many of them perhaps are in bed right now. Many of them will be going to brunch. I love brunch. Um, many of them will be in different places this day. But God, I pray that wherever they are, that you meet the spiritual hunger. That you place somebody in their lives that cares enough to reach out a hand. And whether or not they end up at Kern Church or end up anywhere else, oh God, I just pray that you, that you speak to them. That you open their hearts. Because I know that you have, you have life, real life for them. You are the one that can satiate that spiritual hunger and fill that spiritual openness with a sense of vitality and love beyond imagination. Amen. The Lord of love has come here and I want to pass it on and so I hope that you will join me in figuring out what it means to really pass the love of God on. Go forth this day with the love of God in your hearts, with the power of the Holy Spirit sending you, with the love of Jesus surrounding you. Go in peace. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to reach out to Kern Memorial United Methodist Church or see entire services, you can visit our YouTube channel, Kern Memorial United Methodist Church, and remember to like and subscribe for updates. You can also visit us on our Facebook page at Kern Memorial United Methodist Church. Thanks and have a blessed day.